Okay, hello everybody and welcome back to Idiot Soup. We had a little bit of a hiatus, you know, long time no talk, but we're back. And I'm back with my friend, if you'd like to introduce yourself to the pod. Hello, I'm Darren. Wow, that was really anticlimactic. Most of the time people Hi, like, I'm Darren Singh. <laughs> Don't expose your full name, the people on the internet are going to track you down. Okay, I- Whoa, I'm going to bleep that out. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we're not We're not about that. Anyways, so welcome to the pod, everybody. It is currently January 21, 21st, o'clock p.m., and we drove around for about an hour and a half trying to find somewhere to record. We went to four separate places. Um, but yeah, we're back. We're here with the episode. And Taryn, would you like to tell our, our uh, lovely podcast listeners what today's topic is? Um... It's not walk, it's Iran. Haha, <laughs> that's funny. It's not funny. Okay. <laughs> no more Iran puns for the rest of the <laughs> for the rest of the recording session. But yes, today we are oh I just hit the mic on accident. But today we are talking about Iran, which has been actually I was gonna say it's been a topic of controversy over the past couple yeah, but of days. The impeachment kinda is a- the impeachment kind of supplanted that, but also the twenty four hours news cycle is not really lending itself to longevity of issues. Just really bad, considering a lot of people are concerned about like any imminent th- threats of war, which a lot of people are saying have now passed. Once again, thanks to that twenty-four hour news cycle, and no one cares about what's going on in Iran anymore. Um, but that's neither here nor there because we will still be talking about Iran um, and maybe World War Three memes. I'm joking. No World War Three memes. They're not funny anymore. They're still funny. Okay. Okay. So basically, at Iraq in the Baghdad, Baghdad, how you pronounce it? International Airport, Baghdad. I said Baghdad. (laughs) Baghdad International Airport. There was a drone strike, and military leader Qasim Soleimani was killed, and that kind of sparked some aggression between Iran and the United States. A lot of people were talking about whether or not there was going to be further military aggression. So Iran was kind of on edge, really amped up about it. Uh, The Iranian people made a hardline kind of official stance that they are against America against the United States and against all uh, military presence there and it ended up with uh, Iran shot down a plane that was flying over the uh, their like area um, and people died as a result of the plane being shot down as usually happens when planes are shot down so now there's a big talk of whether or not the United States had the authority to go into the authority to make the first drone strike to begin with, whether or not that was uncalled for, what this means for the future of Iranian-American diplomatic relations, and a lot of this, they said, tie back to the Iranian nuclear uh, deal in which, you know, Trump basically backed out of that deal and then Iran con- continued with making nuclear weapons and con- continuing with that. So that's kind of a, a thing that's been, I guess you could say, brewing since almost the beginning of this presidency. But what do you think? about the ordeal well in regards to the authority i don't think it's really a matter of like is this action going to be sanctioned by you know our allies or other countries it's a matter of again it's more of like donald trump's like enforcing his policy of you know american first american interests no matter who who it pisses off you know really and to the Defense Department's, you know, point of view, like, having the opportunity to eliminate a threat to, you know, American national security when they think that American lives are at risk, you know, like, 
this administration is not going to, you know, allow that to happen anymore. I mean, but where is the proof that there was an imminent threat? I, I, I mean, there was none. I mean, obviously, they're not going to tell us about it, but... Okay, but it's, it's not that... Okay, so I get that us, the American people, may not necessarily have the right to know what's going on on the larger international political stage regarding military tactics and, and what's not. But when senators came out of the briefing for what happened during this, this drone strike and, you know, they came out and they even talked to Nancy Pelosi about it, they were calling it the worst military briefing, like forward policy briefing that they've ever had. They're basically saying that the Trump administration and all of their proxies were spinning lies throughout the entire briefing and that there was no imminent threat. They never even made any attempt to prove there was. I mean, once again, you have seasoned senators saying that this is the worst briefing they've ever heard and the Trump administration has done nothing to, you know, back that up. So I'm not saying that we need to know what's going on. I mean, I would like to know what's going on, but obviously some of that's above my clearance level. But when people that are sitting in the briefing are saying that there is no proof of an imminent threat or at least aren't jumping to the defense of the Trump administration for making this this movement, doesn't that kind of, I don't know, seem a little sketch? Kind of seem like it's not really what everyone's saying is cracked up to be? Well, I don't disagree. I think that the Trump administration definitely has, you know, proven, proven itself again and again that it just does not, it just likes to do its own thing, like regardless of whether or not it may be the best decision. It just likes to pull the trigger and just worry about the consequences later. Okay. Do I need to be no close? Okay. Uh, but, you know, again, I don't think that this decision was not calculated to at least some degree, right? I mean, yeah, I just, I, I honestly, like, I see your point. I think you're, you're probably right, honestly. The thing is, like, even if the decision is calculated, which I agree, I mean, it's a calculated decision, like, he might not be the one calculating it, but there are some foreign policy experts in the office. The question is, does he even have the right to make that decision without Congress's approval? I mean, that's kind of what you, when you involve foreign policy, you have to involve Congress, and everything happened so quick. And, you know, now we're talking about further aggressions, even getting closer and closer, maybe possibly to a war, which I don't think is going to happen. And Congress is not having any opinion. In, I mean, if you look at uh, what I have it written down here, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said, I can't think of anything dumber than allowing Congress to take over our foreign policy. And then uh, Justin Amash said, she basically said, I can't think of uh, anything dumber than the Constitution. Because it's in the Constitution, in the second article, that you know Congress is the only body that can give the authority to go to war or go make military aggressions. And it seems ever since, you know, basically ever since 9-11, the federal government has been, you know, kind of getting slower and slower and slower, moving towards having almost a dictatorship when it comes towards terrorism is that the president has the authority to essentially do pretty much whatever he wants to do. And we see this exercised with what Donald Trump did in Iran and that he's kind of, you know, I guess playing it off as an imminent threat. And it's kind of, it's kind of something that I think we should be wary of when it's not, it's that it's getting close and to encroaching upon, you know, almost an abuse of power. Um, and it's just, you know, it just goes back to that whole, it just rubs me the wrong way when you make stuff up. Like, if there wasn't a threat, don't lie and say that there was. And don't go to the briefing room and, and give the worst possible brief ever of something that's not substantive. Well, I think there definitely has been problems, like, you know, in regards to 
the balance of power between the executive and legislative branch in deciding foreign policy like that. I mean, it seems to be a general trend of like sacrificing like personal freedom in like security over like you know national security. But when you when you're getting down to like performing like these strikes like against you know moving targets you know that like aren't just like act you know stable entities that you can actually declare war on there has to be some level of flexibility that the executive branch and the president as commander-in-chief you know decisions that he can make on the fly really to effectively you know effectively neutralize these threats that you know pop up you know all over the place you know they're not they're not you, you can't you can't have the con- you can't call a joint you know session of Congress together and like decide these things so quickly. So I don't disagree with you in that the president has you know over the years gained more and more power, and that's been encroaching on Congress's power to you know declare war. But you also have to understand like how wars evolve and how loosely that like war has really become rather than just like actual entities fighting each other it's just these little cells popping up all over the place oh yeah that's the thing though is that it's not quote open air quotes not okay. war because the united states hasn't really declared war okay. since uh world war ii but you may be surprised to know that we have engaged in multiple wars since world war ii and typically wow when we look back in hindsight we decide that those probably weren't the best decisions to make you know because we we typically as a nation condemn what we did you know after the gulf of tonkin and like what we did to everyone there and you know what we did in iraq and um but i was listening to this very good episode of love it or leave it and which typically i mean i fluctuate between liking it and disliking it sometimes it's a bit too inflammatory for my taste but he offered this really good commentary on the even the notion that it should be codified into law that there should be a way for the president to have unilateral like power against um any entity should it become so necessary to protect the american people should it be like like you were saying a situation in which the president cannot have time to call a joint session and you know get everyone there and you know have everything set up um and he basically said you know if there if ever there were a situation so dire that this should need to happen the president should have no problem justifying it after you know the fact that we have laws that allow the president to do that and then justify it or the the fact that we have laws now that allow the president to not even have to ask or to consider the political repercussions of making you know acts of military aggression without the consent of congress kind of is a scary notion so i don't think it makes sense i think like if there ever was a situation so bad that the entire like you know the american people were in danger i think it would be really easy for the president to say hey like this is what happened you know like they had a missile pointed straight at us they're about to literally obliterate i don't know new york city or or some random city i can think of but um but the fact of the matter is now that the legislation we have now the legislation we have now in the books yes it does protect the president if that circumstance were to arise, but it also protects the president if he were to, what why I said earlier, basically encroach upon abuse of executive power and make political moves and make, um, you know, drone strikes or military aggressions that 
shouldn't be authorized because there is no imminent threat. But the words that we have that are written down in legislation are so vague that they can still, you know, call upon the documents that we have now and say, oh, well, you know, I did this for the safety of the American people and there was an imminent threat and that's why I did that. And I think that the words that we have now are very loose. And I mean, if you look to the origin of the words that we use now, what do we use? The authorization, authorization for the use of military force against terrorists. That's from 2001. That's from a different war with a different or- terrorist organization in a different country. And we're still using that to, you know, basically uh, justify things such as Guantanamo Bay and everything that happened in, you know, and it's like, not to say that like the intent of that law wasn't to be so used so loosely, but I think that there at least needs to be some consideration to revisit these laws if people are going to be still using this as a justification for a completely different war against a completely different entity. And it just seems like it's just past its prime and it's something that should be revisited because I just think it's dangerous. I mean, is this... If I'm understanding this correctly, like, the president has the power to, like, obviously as commander-in-chief, he has the power to, you know, perform a strike like this or deploy troops without Congress's approval, and then within 48 hours, he's to tell Congress, and within 60 days, he has to gain congressional approval to, like, have them remain? Yeah, okay. Well, basically, touch on that, though. That is, like, the War Powers Resolution, which you're talking about. And I think Congress is actually talking right now about passing some sort of, like, non-binding resolution about what's going on in Iran. And a lot of people are like, what's that going to do? You can't really, you know, formally take any action. But there has been calls in the current Congress for, you know, the House and Senate to check the president's powers and go off of that. But what I was talking about was the authorization for the use of military force, which was passed almost unanimously, almost unanimously. There was only one uh, representative that voted against it in the House. Um, but it was passed after 9-11, literally a week, less than a week after 9-11. And it basically, um, if I am finding the correct words here. So the authorization for the use of military force reads that the president is authorized to use all necessary and appropriate force against those nations, organizations, or persons he determines planned, authorized, committed, or aided in the terrorist attacks that occurred on September 11, 2001, or harbored such organizations or persons in order to prevent any future acts of international terrorism against the United States by such nations or organizations. So this was... At least at first glance, it seems very tethered to the terrorist attacks of 9-11. It seems like that's something that it's kind of like you can't really move it away from that. You can't really, you know. But throughout history, or at least I'm 18 years of history, the 18 years of history between now and then, it has been used in, like, Barack Obama used it uh, in Iraq. And, you know, they use it for Guantanamo Bay. And they use it, they use it to, they loosely use it to, for any acts of military aggression for associates of terrorist organizations so a lot of people define it as the kind of you know if person a is in war with person b and person c joins the war on the side of person c then person a is against war with b and c so if use it you loosely use it like that to basically go at war with whoever they want to go at war with and it's been definitely deviated from its original intention and that was to conquer you know al-qaeda so that's been a big player in the war on terrorism and that's something that people are kind of uh, seeing at play here with what Trump is doing in Iran is that he's able to easily justify his words by saying, you know, 
this is authorization this is by the uh, authorization for the use of military force and it's not something that you know it just happens like you mentioned it was a on the fly decision which is right but it's like at any given moment the president has probably a dozen lawyers sitting there cracking out trying to see if you know this is authorized by this little uh uh you know 60 word sentence so that's something that has been used repeatedly and i think it's something that needs to be rewritten something that needs to be revised because it's just allowing for an overstep a breach of authority i would say by the executive branch well i think in like when passing resolutions like that in times of crisis there needs to be some sort of end goal right like where you have where like the resolution has like some kind of like expiration date where like at some point it can be renewed and if i'm understanding this if i'm understanding this correctly it didn't have some sort of expiration date no yeah, yeah it's, so. it's still it's still on the books right now it's still what's being used and that's like to me that's just it's doesn't make any sense that we have a law that was written or an authorization of force that was written for 9-11 i mean like imagine if presidents could still use the authorization that uh that they had for the gulf of tonkin like like are you serious it just doesn't make any sense like that's something that should be specific to one event and I think that it's been abused because it hasn't been, I mean, I, you know. Yeah, I definitely think so because in times of crisis like that, when you just have a lot of bipartisan support because, you know, like people are dead and people want things done, a lot of times people just like to, you know, like especially like, you know, Vietnam or whatever, like they would pass the War Powers Act, or, you know, or like after 9-11, like the Patriot Act, stuff like that, yeah. where you're not really – thinking about long-term effects this could have on your you know country where you're only concerned about the short-term goals which you know obviously as, as, poli- as politicians like it's it, it's a lot like it, it seems to me like you know politicians are only concerned about you know the next election cycle like what's going to get them reelected, you know and so they're always concerned about the president and not really considering like you know obviously long-term effects of a res- like a resolution such as the what AUMF could yeah. have. Yeah, and then so I think like that. I think that is something that be that we're becoming more you know cognizant of. That's something that we're recognizing more, especially you know like like I said before, we look back and we kind of tend to condemn these wars, especially the ones that were you know led against terrorism and you know kind of taken to extremes. So we've kind of come back full circle with that and realizing that we're that's not right exactly and that's kind of led to i think specifically like that we're seeing is with iran is there is some sort of dissent within the republican party itself and there's obviously a lot of uh backlash from the democratic party but the republicans are kind of seeing that rift grow between them in what to do with iran what is the next step so like i said earlier i mentioned earlier um that they were gonna pass some resolution against uh you know, President Trump's further actions. And basically, so on January 14th, uh, Senator Tim Kaine from Virginia, a Democrat from Virginia, came out and said that they have secured the Republican votes that they need to pass a measure that is going to force President Trump to win congressional authorization before taking any further military action against Iran. And I think that's pretty big because, you know, this has been a pretty hard line, not, not a hard line party, but I guess a pretty unified party, especially when you compare it to the Democrats in the last four years about what to do and this issue of iran is splitting them up but it's also kind of forcing the executive branch to take a step back and reevaluate what their powers are what their constitutional 
constitutionally afforded powers are and how they can handle foreign policy. And I think I would really like to see this resolution pass and I would really like to see Congress regain their power, um, especially, you know, coming up on the eve of the election and everything. I think it's important for this is a, a very crucial window of time for Congress to regain their power. Um, if you are changing presidents, if you're not changing presidents, I still think it's just as valid and just as important. I mean, like, the Republican Party in general has always been kind of, you know, split over Donald Trump and whether or not... I know, think like, for the beginning, but I think actually quite recently it's kind of been... Especially with election cycle coming up, I think I mean, I been, think that, like, if Donald Trump actually gets elected again, like, there's going to be more... Because, like, currently, like, the Republicans are only really... The Republicans are only really, like, unifying so they can be united and beat the Democrats. Like, they still hate Trump as much as they hated Trump back in 2016, right? Tell that to Mitt Romney. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, no, but yeah, I see what you're saying. But, I mean, the, the election brings out different things in everyone. It's it's brought out a lot of catfights in the Democratic Party, and it's brought out, brought out a lot of unification, I would say, in the Republican Party. So it was really interesting to see that rift grow to the to the magnification of voting against your own party in the Senate. That's something that, you know, we haven't really considered the the Senate doing, especially like with the impeachment and everything, but yeah. I mean, whether or not it's like I mean, look, the president is the leader of his party, right? Like as much as we like may sin, you know, it's not true. He, he is. So in in Especially in the election years, like having Republicans like openly like criticize a president or just like you know show how much they hate him, it's just gonna tear the party apart, which is you know something that's you know probably not the best idea for the Republican Party, you know regarding Donald Trump's current status, you know as the third president to be oh, impeached. His Facebook status. <laughs> you, okay, okay, boomer. What? Okay, I still use Facebook, but yes. Today, on January 21st, actually, they did initiate the impeachment uh, hearings in the Senate, which was really super interesting, um, even though Mitch McConnell is really super boring, and I listened to it. Um, also, if you ever listen to Mitch McConnell, like, on TV or on a recorder or anything, I recommend, like, 1.5 speed, because the man speaks so slowly, he is impossibly hard to listen to. But anyways, that happened. Opening thoughts? On the impeachment. What a beautiful segue, by the way. <laughs> I mean, okay. If you look at the articles of impeachment, they're what, like, abuse of power? or And, like, what, like, obstruction of justice? Or something like that? The great thing about impeachment Congress. is that you can impeach people on pretty much anything. <laughs> I mean, to but me... But, yeah, no, they were, like, abuse of power and obstruction of justice, which are the two main things that people have been harping on from... Ukraine and everything that's going on with like Russia, whatever. But honestly, I think it should pertain only to Ukraine. I think any if you expand beyond that circle, it, it becomes very clear that yes, it is a political agenda and it has been a political agenda for four years. But I don't think you want to highlight that. I think what you want to do is stick to the very bare bones example. But yeah, it's obstruction of justice and the abuse of power. So what are you saying that like you don't think it should expand? Like it should go into like obstruction of justice? Do you see it as like a I don't know, more of like a political political kind of play rather than like... I'm very wary of the Democrats. I'm, I think it's a quality over quantity type of issue here is that I'm very worried that if the Democratic Party decides that they want to 
you know, inundate the Senate floor with evidence and hearings and testimony and people from, you know, they if they want to bring Stormy Daniels out there. And, like, I just think it's something that they need to keep it that one isolated incident that, A, the president has admitted to, B, they have physical proof of, and C, it's kind of something that's hard to get around. If you bring in everything else that the Democrats have harped on him for, I think it becomes a political move. And I think that, yes, it is a political process, but even if it has even a slight minuscule chance of being effective, it needs to be as apolitical as possible. It needs to be, here's the law, here's the law that was broken, and so on and so forth. I mean, I definitely think that the Democrats, you know, don't actually see a chance of impeach, like actually... Yeah, no, he's not going to get impeached. So, like... And they're just trying to, like, you know, like, smear Trump as much as possible so they can win in 2020. But I feel like it's really not going to be, like, that effective because... I think he's going to come out on top. Like, because when you look at, like, the day he got elected, right, like, they were already talking about impeaching him for, like, Russian collusion or something. And there's been so much talk about, like, to the American people about, oh, Trump's going to get, like impeach for this and yeah. it, it just seems like it's always just been a political game that the american public has to turn on turn on the news and just listen to time after time and it's just and it's just like to be honest like i don't feel like most people like see the impeachment as that big of a deal because they've just seen it coming for the last what three years now yeah right so it's not something that was like first surprise, it's, it's russian say. collusion and when they couldn't when that didn't work out for democrats then, then they switched to ukraine right so again, and also if you look at like the Clinton impeachment and the Nixon impeachment, those were things that were brought out by the news media like out of the blue that basically combusted in front of the American people. And when you look at what happened in Ukraine, it was kind of a slow, steady like buildup that's like you said has been happening for the past three years, and nobody really cared about it. It was done in seventy-two hours. We haven't heard anything about it from Joe Biden. We haven't heard anything about it from you know. Well, we have, obviously, because the impeachment, but not a lot about it from Trump's office. So I think it's something that, honestly, I think it's just, it's going to get in the way of the Democratic primary, A, and B, I think it's going to give fuel to Trump's fire. Because if you look at his traditional voter base, it's people that are going to be steadfast supporters no matter what the weather brings. I mean, honestly, I only think that this is going to hurt the Democratic Party because what I wasn't, what, like... February 3rd. Yeah, in like, what, so like two weeks, I guess? Yeah. And like, what, like, I'm pretty sure like four of the current Democrats are running are, they have to be there. Yeah. And so instead of campaigning out there in like Iowa, New Hampshire, they're going to be sitting here in Washington, D.C. trying to, you know, impeach or like, convict a president that's n- not going to get convicted. Yeah. Well, the only interesting thing about that is that I don't think there's going to be much of a trial. Because if you watched the opening of the impeachment ceremony today after the little invocation and the Pledge of Allegiance <laughs> that we talked about, um, you know, uh, the Senate leaders took the floor, Mitch McConnell and Schumer, and they talked about, they gave their basically opening oral arguments. And today they voted on, or they're voting on the rules of structure that they're going to have um, in this impeachment. And Basically, Mitch McConnell proposed these rules that he said were, you know, quote verbatim, the same rules as the Clinton impeachment. Um, And they kind of were, but they kind of were not. Uh, But the thing about it is 
they basically want this impeachment trial impeachment trial to be like a sort of midnight trial so they want to force the managers which is the lawyers for the people that are you know defending and i guess prosecuting the impeachment um to give all their oral arguments within 24 hours which means and and like i think it's 12 hour segments um which means a vast majority of these arguments are going to be given at like 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m. when really it's hard to get the world to watch at 1 a.m. and 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. unless you have something that is worth watching. And honestly, if you've ever watched anything in the Senate, it's incredibly boring. And I use the opening of the impeachment trials today as my evidence. Um, but I mean, it is worth watching. The thing is that, like you said, the American people aren't tuned into this. And I think it's going to be something that's really hard to make them watch. And then secondly, if mcconnell's rules get passed the opening arguments will be heard from the managers then the senators will get to write down questions not even ask them aloud they have to turn in written questions and then they vote if they want to hear more evidence or bring in more witnesses so they can very easily and probably very likely will shut this down in 72 hours i mean i just don't see any any point in like calling all these witnesses and asking all these questions. Like, sure, like, it could go through the emotions, right? But, like, look, like, we, what do we, we have the transcript. We have, the, like, the Ukrainian, he was like, okay, like, he didn't, he gave us the aid. Like, at this point, it just becomes, like, calling on these really specific people who, you know, might say some, like, there's no bombshell. Like, there's no, there's no witness who's going to come out there and, like, drop a bomb on the American people and everybody's going to be, like, you know, like, worry about it or something like See, that. See, that's the thing where I disagree, is, like, I think that this... Okay, so actually there was a point of contention between McConnell and Schumer and that McConnell was saying, uh, the House of Representatives wants us to do all the work for uh, and investigate for them, and he was trying to basically uh, give a legalese argument as to why the Senate does not bear the authority to investigate here or call witnesses here, and he was saying, like, we have the right to try and they have the right to impeach, and uh, and then, you know... Schumer got up right behind him and said that the Senate does bear the authority to, you know, carry out due diligence here and carry out due process of law here. And I agree with the latter. I think that the House didn't hear any witnesses or have anything of the sort, or at least not in depth. And I think that there is, to some extent, a burden for this these witnesses and these evidence, these pieces of evidence to be heard somewhere in some sort of, like, court of law well, obviously, yeah, I mean, law, I know, but it's I, as far as you can get. And I think that the Senate does have the right to invest. I mean, I think the Senate does have the burden, the duty to investigate this. And I think that they should. And I think it's very important. And I think that, you know, like we're all waiting on Bolton to testify. I mean, if he doesn't testify, I mean, like there are things that can come out that we didn't know. I don't think it's a good idea to say, oh, well, I assume we won't hear anything. So let's push it aside. I mean, you know? I don't disagree. Like, obviously, like I don't like even though I don't think that anything huge is going to come out, like, you, you still have to, you know, there's, you still have to go through the motions just in case there might be something. So, like, I, I don't disagree with you at all on that. But and, and also, I think, but I also think this is the greatest way to make it consumable for the American public and to publicize it as best you can. Because a lot of people aren't going to, you know, read the transcripts and read the letters and read the testimony. But if you have videos of witnesses in the Senate saying these things, you know, People do, not in high numbers or as numbers that they wish they were higher, but people do tune in and do pay attention to this sometimes. I think that's important to recognize as well. I mean, I just don't, I don't know if the Democrats want this, because it seems like to me like the Democrats kind of want this to 
not be long and drawn out as you might expect, and you just kind of want to get it over with. Not like obviously like not as much as the Repu Republicans wanted to, you know, as 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 fast as they want to finish it. But it seems to me that they don't they don't want the whole drawn out process and you know like days and days of debate and all that. But I think that there still needs to be like. Okay, so, like, when McConnell proposes rules, the Democrats were obviously in outrage because it's absurd to have an entire trial crammed into, you know, 12 hours. So now they have the 24 hours over three days or whatever it is. So I think that, I mean, there has to be some aspect of due diligence. And honestly, I'm not concerned with what the Democrats want here. I want a trial. I want to know what happened. I want to hear the evidence. I want to hear the witnesses. And uh, Chuck Schumer had a really great quote actually that i liked that he said during his opening statement and he said a trial without evidence is not a trial it's cover-up and i think yeah, that's just, it just seems relevant. dishonest from mcconnell to like to preclude like, evidence. if he if he like if he actually doesn't think that there's any evidence then he's just gonna be like, okay like you can have as much time as you want like go ahead i don't care yeah no if you show your cards before you you know i think it's just yeah. like it's sneaky and it's conniving to use to abuse the power of having a majority to uh, i mean that's obstruction of justice to be able to vote to not even hear a trial is absurd and i think it's an infringement upon just the basic tenets of the american justice system and I think that we are the stakeholders in this country and we have a right to know what's going on we can't be there for the closed door meetings an impeachment is a time when all the cameras are turned on. All the microphones are turned on. There's a transcript. There's a stenographer of everything. And we get to see, for one of the first times ever, what's really happening. And it's complete and utter totality. And I think that we don't d deserve to have that right stripped from us by the senators. Yeah, I think that McConnell's like, whatever he's trying, like him trying to, you know, make it more swift and like hold, like just like cram everything into like a period of like what, a day or two? I think it's three days now. Yeah, like three days now? So it's like going to be about a week. Like, if, if he wants the American people to, like, actually be, like, secure in, like, in the fact that, like, okay, if, like, if he actually does not get convicted, then nothing actually happened. Like, I just feel like it's, it's just going to backfire on him because the American people are going to realize, like, okay, like, if there's nothing thing, to cover though, it's, up. Nothing's ever going to backfire Mitch McConnell. Oh, my God. As long as there's oil and, like, what, corn, he'll be fine. But, like... I agree with you. I think that it's – I just think it's kind of, like, atrocious that – I think it's just miscarriage of justice for – to preclude evidence before it's even, like, you know, before it's even out there, and that's just wrong. I mean, yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's just becoming part of the game that – like, there was no part of the impeachment that was, like, never about – politics and just like justice right i don't think like at any point anybody anybody actually thought that you know like we wouldn't get away from politics and actually like hold a fair trial but i mean like at the end of the day i know and i'm pretty sure pretty much every american out there knows is that this he will not be convicted there they will vote and it will be a party vote and president trump will be president trump I mean, at yeah, the very they, least made up their minds like before any of this exactly. even started that you know they're already and you can tell that from the very fact that they voted in those rules they voted in those rules so they could vote to close the trial at the beginning and i think that's just a little bit sickening because i understand that there isn't going to be that he's not going to be impeached and that's fine but i think that at the very least there deserves to be some inkling of 
due process in this entire situation and there's not and that's kind of a little bit saddening because I think the every the average American citizen is getting left out throughout all of this it's just all elite Washington politics an impeachment is no longer what an impeachment is meant to be it's a power play they're not using it for what it's supposed to be used for and I think that's kind of scary I mean isn't that part of why like they want it to just you know get it to get it done with because like they don't want this to like be like they don't they're afraid of what it was gonna like, the turmoil it was gonna create for the public you know like having to go undergo an impeachment of your president can be a pretty tumultuous event for American people and like you know that's part probably part of why like some argue some argue that you know maybe we need to get this over with so we don't you know create a whole mess for ourselves yeah but I think getting it over with and hearing all your witnesses and doing it quickly is different from getting over with by pushing it under the rug. Like I don't disagree. Like that, obviously, there's some kind of balance that needs to be. Okay, with that being said, this concludes this episode of Idiot Soup. We'll talk more about the impeachment in upcoming days, and we're also going to be talking about the primary, and the New York Times has a lot of interesting things going on. Including their crosswords. And the crosswords are really good, but I'm talking about the endorsement. But anyways, so I'd like to give a big thank you to Darren for being our guest. Thank you for coming on the pod. We really appreciate having you here, and thank you for all of your input, and we look forward to you returning as a guest. Okay. <laughs> so, goodbye. Oh, goodbye. Hi. <laughs> goodbye. Thank you for listening to Idiot Soup Podcast. You can find us online at idiotsouppodcast.com, on Instagram at idiotsouppodcast, on Twitter at idiotsouppod, and also on Facebook, idiotsouppodcast, a political podcast. You can listen to future podcast episodes on YouTube, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more platforms. You can find all of those platforms out on our website, and feel free to contact us. So, goodbye. Goodbye.